What a gorgeous winter day. I had to double check to make sure I was still in Ohio. But we'll take it. Amen. 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 Another week, folks, and it'll be spring. And we'll probably be shoveling snow. <laughs> Acts chapter 28. We are down to the last section of the book of Acts tonight. We have been walking with the early apostles and Luke and Paul and others through some incredible working of God as we see in the book of Acts, the outworking of Christ's promise, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We've already seen the gates of hell trying in the book of Acts. And we are down to that last chapter, and tonight we're going to pick up with verse 16, which is where we left off last week with Paul just arriving in Rome. I'm going to take the time to read the passage with us this evening, so please take your Bible or your phone. Acts 28, verse 16. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They 
will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. We said a couple of weeks ago that one of the things that comes across in these last chapters of Acts, when Paul is imprisoned, he's first detained by the Romans to keep him from being killed by the Jews in Jerusalem and saved three times by the same centurion, later taken to Caesarea, and all of this is an interruption in Paul's plan. But God has come to him twice personally and told him, Paul, you're going to survive this. You are going to go to Rome and you are going to speak to Caesar. And so we talked about the providence of God. God takes us places we don't expect to be. He brings things along that we didn't expect to experience. And Paul later reminded the Philippians that these things have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. God doesn't make any mistakes. It was no mistake that Paul was detained by a Roman centurion and saved out of an angry mob of Jewish people in Jerusalem. It was no mistake that Paul appealed to Caesar and so we see here the ultimate arrival of Paul in Rome. And instead of sulking, going into a depression, instead of giving up and saying, my life is over, we find him immediately seeking an opportunity to witness and testify concerning Christ. And as he did in every city where he went, he sought first, to minister to the Jews. You read through the book of Acts, everywhere Paul went, he went first to the synagogue or to the place of prayer. Wherever he could find Jewish people in the city, there he went. And he offered the gospel to them. And he did not turn to the Gentiles until the Jews rejected the gospel. And then he would go to the Gentiles. We see exactly the same pattern here in the city of Rome. Paul, upon his arrival, in verses 16 and 17, it says, after three days, he calls together the leading Jews. So he gets there. It takes uh, some time, I'm sure, for the transfer of the prisoner from the centurion who brought him in on the ship and the praetorian guard of Caesar to bring him in as a prisoner for him to get established, situated somewhere in a home. Evidently, Paul was able to rent a house uh, for his own use, but the requirement was he had to stay there. Uh, he mentions chains and bonds and also was under the guard of the Praetorian Guard. This would have been uh, Caesar's personal contingent of guards. They dealt with all things related to the emperor and since Paul had appealed to Caesar and would, appeal to see, uh, would appear before Caesar, he fell under the care and watch of the Praetorian Guard. This would be like our secret service. Anything that is going to come near the president has to go through 
the Secret Service and has to be under their watchful eye. So uh, this kind of uh, house arrest um, is, is kind of unusual for us to think about. Uh, Paul was able to receive visitors. He was able to have uh, people come and stay with him, people come and say, uh, stay, and, and uh, he could teach and preach. He was, he was free to do anything except leave. And he took advantage of all the freedom that he had while he was there. But he calls together a meeting with the leading men of the Jews. He sends out communication, perhaps through Luke or somebody else who's traveling with him, to go find the leaders of the Jewish people and sends a message to them. Uh, Paul, uh, and how, how they introduced him, I don't know. Um, Probably didn't call him the Apostle Paul. Maybe they did. Uh, they might have called him the rabbi. They might have called him Saul of Tarsus, who once worked in Jerusalem, the student of Gamaliel. I don't know how they introduced him, but they said, he is here, and he is seeking an audience with you as the leaders of the Jews. So they come, verse 17. And he begins basically by introducing the situation. This is not a time in which he preaches to them, but he simply states the case that has brought him to Rome. And so in this initial meeting, he is basically asking for a more extended audience with this group. And so he explains that even though he had done nothing, not only had he not broken any Roman laws, he hadn't even broken any Jewish customs, even though he had been accused of that. They were accusing him of wrongfully coming into the temple, but he didn't. He had done everything by the law. Yet, even though I did that which was right, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. I'm glad Paul here made a long story short. You can go back and read those earlier chapters if you want to. He continues to relate to the Jewish leaders in verse 18 that the Romans had examined him and they were willing to release him because there was no ground. There were no charges and it's significant to read back through there and see the governors that examined him had no charges to convey or to communicate with Rome. That was part of the baffling element of this case. What, what do we say to her? You can't just send somebody to Rome and not have some kind of an accusation. That's like sending a case to the Supreme Court but not really having anything for them to discuss. You don't do that. And so Paul here saying that they were willing to release me, but because in verse 19 the Jewish leaders back in Israel, in, in Caesarea, had objected to Paul being released, he was forced to appeal to Caesar. If you remember, if he didn't appeal to Caesar, the Jews were going to prevail upon Festus to move the trial back to Jerusalem. And Paul knew if he got back to Jerusalem, it was very likely that his life would end right there. So he appealed to Caesar. For this reason, in verse 20, I requested this audience to see you, speak to you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. He is here identifying with Israel. Uh, Paul never denied his uh, Jewishness, his Israeli uh, 
history, makeup, genetics, even though he was a Roman citizen, uh, he was always ready to reach out to his fellow Jewish people. Verse 21 is their reply, 21 and 22. And they basically say, we've never heard of this case. Now, the Jews in Jerusalem who had first accused Paul have had plenty of time to send a message to Rome. Plenty of time since he appealed. Because you remember, Paul spent the entire winter on an island. He, he didn't make it to Rome in, in good time. And so there's been plenty of time for the Jews to have communicated with Rome, but they haven't done that. The Jewish leaders convey the fact they have not heard anything about it. But, verse 22, we would like to hear some more from you. From what your views are. Does that sound like an open door for the gospel? Right now it is. Paul, we'd like to hear what you have to say. Because we've heard about this sect, and here I think he's referring to the followers of Christ, first called Christians at Antioch, followers of the way, some different terms that are used, here called this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And that was a true statement. Everywhere that Paul went, we have seen in the book of Acts, the opposition came first from the Jews, and sometimes only from the Jews. And so if, if this was being considered by some a sect of the Jews, these Jews are recognizing that it has been spoken of against everywhere. Spoken, it's been spoken against everywhere. So they set a time, verse 23 tells us they made some kind of an appointment. We don't know if it was a few days, a couple weeks. We're not told anything about the timing. So they set a date for Paul, and they came to him, and I love this, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. How many is that? I don't know. But we're talking about, we're talking about the city of Rome, which was a very large city, and... Uh, there had been some persecution of, of, of Jews already at Rome. Some Jews had left Rome. We met Aquila and Priscilla earlier, and they had left Rome because of some uh, prejudice against Jews in Rome. But there are many Jews still here, and there's a large number of these leaders. Now, these are the leaders who come in a large number to him. So Paul is the captive speaker, but he has a willing audience. He's the one in chains. They're the ones who can get up and leave. But do you notice, did you notice when we read through it how long they stayed? They stayed a long time. All of you went home this afternoon and got something to eat and had maybe a nap or took a walk. But these people stayed all day long. They stayed from morning until evening, according to the end of verse 23. Notice what it says of Paul's message. He was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Paul has used his testimony in many places to share the gospel. 
He did that with the Roman officials. He has done it in other places. He tried to do it with the Jews standing on the steps at the temple during the last ruckus from which he was saved in Jerusalem. He was testifying about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. You know, I was a student of Gamaliel, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Benjaminite, and I was pressing against those who were followers of the way. I was persecuting I was throwing them in jail, and one day I was on the road to Damascus with papers to arrest them at Damascus. And you know the story I'm talking about? You're with me, right? Yeah. We know that story. It's a, it's, a, it's a grand and glorious salvation story of Paul's testimony. And, and I think that's what he's doing. He's testifying to them about how he was opposed to the kingdom of God uh, as, as a Jew thinking that he was doing God a favor, he was opposed to the followers of Jesus, but it actually is the kingdom of God. And he's trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. He's trying to persuade these Jewish people that this carpenter from Nazareth, who was crucified on a cross years before this, and, and is resurrected, They're, he's trying to convince them that Christ is resurrected, he's the Messiah. This is not a message the Jews want to hear. But it's the message he has. He ha he's preaching the same gospel he mentioned in Romans 1.16. It is the power of God unto salvation. To who first? To the Jews first. And also... To the Greeks. So he's trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. And I love how he does it. He goes back to the law of Moses. And he goes back to the prophets. He goes back to the law. Of, he goes back to the first five books of the Old Testament. The last time you read through those five books, you didn't notice Jesus in there, did you? You didn't see the name Jesus anywhere, did you? But there are a great many pictures of Christ. Christ in the Passover. Christ in the redemption, Christ in the atonement, Christ in the tabernacle, Christ throughout the law of Moses, and then through the prophets, Isaiah. Wouldn't you love to hear Paul preach from Isaiah 53? Amen. Wow, awesome. <laughs> that would have been great. He goes chapter and verse, chapter and verse, chapter and verse, hour after hour after hour after hour, morning until evening. And he just keeps going. He just keeps going. What amazes me is not how long Paul went. What amazes me is how long they listened without exploding. When he, got to the, when he was preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem on the steps of the temple, he only got as far as the Damascus Road and getting saved, and God sent him to the Gentiles. Boom! That was it. It blew up. Here Paul has hours and hours to expound the Scriptures and to preach Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. If you have Jewish friends, you need to learn how to show them the Messiah in the Old Testament. Best way to reach a Jewish person is to use the Old Testament. Just show them what the Old Testament says about their Messiah. That's what Paul did. Well, there's a mixed response. 
as there is almost every time the word is preached in the Bible, in Scripture. You read through the Scripture sometimes. Just look at the responses of people. Here we have a mixed response. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken. Others would not believe. It does not say they could not believe. It says they would not believe. What's the difference? The would not is the will. They refused to believe. They chose not to believe. They refused the truth that Paul was sharing. But some were persuaded. Some were being persuaded. It doesn't say they were fully persuaded, but, but they, were, they were listening. They were intrigued. I'd like to think that some of them came to know Christ, wouldn't you, on that day? Mixed response. So they begin to leave. Uh, when they could not agree with one another, they began to leave. Verse 25, that would have been a very interesting evening to listen to the Jews talking to one another as the meeting was breaking up. Back and forth. Some agreeing, some disagreeing. Some saying, did you, did, did you ever think about that in Isaiah? Did you ever notice that about the Passover? Those kinds of statements. Think, think, wow, I, I never noticed that on Isaiah before. I never noticed that. Paul is picking up on the fact that there is unbelief in the group. And so he quotes to them one more passage from Isaiah. This comes from Isaiah 6. It's the passage where Isaiah, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon his throne. And we have the... The, the, the proclamation of the cherubim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Isaiah falls on his face in, uh, in, in conviction and repentance, and uh, the Lord cleanses his lips and then sends him out to preach. And this was part of Isaiah's commission to preach. Isaiah, I'm going to send you out to preach to people, and they're not going to listen. I'm glad they didn't tell me that at my ordination council. <laughs> I never expected everyone would listen, but they, they never told, nobody ever said to me, no one is going to listen to you. Well, this is going to be fun. That's what God told Isaiah. But Isaiah was faithful in presenting the truth and the message throughout his life and ministry and his book. And it became a passage, Christ himself quoted this passage when he was talking to his own people, Israel, about their rejection of him and their inability to hear what he was saying. And so Paul refers to it here again. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet, there's a lesson there in the inspiration of Scripture, but we will pass on that tonight. To your fathers, saying, Go to this people, Israel, and say, You, Israel, will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. Their ear, with their ears they scarcely 
hear, and they have closed their eyes. It is not that they are seeking God and trying to see. They are not leaning forward trying to hear. They have gone like this. Like, like your children when you tell them what you want them to do and they... If I block it out, it's not real. Well, hello, that doesn't work. And that's what God said Israel was going to do. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And if they returned, I would heal them. This rebellious, obstreperous, stubborn, hard-hearted people, if they would turn, I would heal them. But they won't even listen. Paul likes to get the last word in. Did you ever notice that? He lays it right on them. So you guys are just like your ancestors. We all love to be told we're just like our father or our young husbands in this room. Just a word of advice. Don't ever tell your wife she's just like her mother. Just, just okay, just saying. Not a good idea. But that's what Paul's saying. You are just like your forefathers. Christ said the same thing to the forefathers. The graves are down here at the bottom of the hill of the prophets that, you and you, that your forefathers killed, and you're just the same way. And Paul's reminding them, you're doing exactly this. I just preached to you from Isaiah. You're doing exactly the same thing that they did when Isaiah preached the same message. So, in verse 28, Therefore, because of the hardness of your hearts, because you are not listening, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. One of the beautiful threads woven through scriptures, all the times when Gentiles came in the Old Testament and became a part of what God was doing in Israel. We find Rahab and we find Ruth and we find others woven into the fabric as little threads of gold. And then in the ministry of Christ, we have the Syrophoenician woman. We have a centurion. We have a Samaritan. We have a leper. We have a tax collector. We have these outcasts that come and they hear. And Paul says to them, you've had your chance. You've had your opportunity. And I think from that day forward in Rome, Paul probably put his energies into reaching the Gentiles. And so we go on then, watching the Jews walk out of the, of the area, and they're still having a dispute among themselves. The book of Acts closes almost in an unexpected abruptness with verses 30 and 31. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Two years 
And we believe, uh, at least uh, I think most of us here would be on the same page with this, we believe that Paul was most likely released from this imprisonment and uh, had opportunity to travel some more, to write uh, uh, a couple of the pastoral epistles, to have a few more years of ministry, was later arrested again, and then was executed uh, after this. Why two years? Well, possibly because, as you remember, they were in a shipwreck on the way to, the Ro to Rome. Whatever records, whatever letter was being carried to convey to Caesar may have been lost in the shipwreck. Oh, you can't go to court without the file. So what do you do? You send a messenger back to Israel to get another copy. And they didn't even have Pony Express. I mean, we're talking about taking some time. So that may have had to occur. There's also the element of they are waiting for a contingent of Jews who made the accusation to come to Rome to, to give their case before Caesar. A Caesar would not hear a case if both sides were not represented. Paul also, as a citizen, had the right to face his accusers in a court of law. Well, they're waiting. Where are your accusers? They're not here. Okay? Delay this trial again. So who knows how many times it got delayed. But for whatever the reasons are, Paul is waiting for two years and we think was most likely released. Probably because two different provincial governors had tried him already and he had been found guilty of nothing. So he doesn't waste the time, and you and I can be very thankful that Paul had two years in Rome. He's preaching the kingdom. He's teaching concerning Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the way, a slave called Onesimus hears the gospel as Paul is teaching or preaching, and he gets saved and uh, goes back to his master from whom he had run with uh, the possibility that he could be executed. But Paul wrote to Philemon, that wonderful letter uh, depicting the grace of God, and we have that inside story on some of what went on in Rome. It is clear that Paul had the freedom to preach without any hindrance. He was required to stay, most likely to stay in that one building, but he could receive visitors. Many believe that uh, it was even allowed for those people to work at a trade to continue earning a living because they had to pay their own rent. Uh, if that was needed. Uh, we know that the Philippian church contributed to Paul's support, and uh, perhaps he didn't have to work then. But even though he was restricted to his quarters, Paul makes uh, a case that the gospel was never restricted. You can put Paul in chains, but you can't put the gospel in chains. You can put preachers in jail, but you can't put the Bible in jail. You can't, you can't contain the gospel. And that has been the account of the book of Acts has been the spread of the gospel, the increase and multiplication of the word of God. Paul brought this out in Philippians chapter 1. I won't take time to read it, but verses 12 through 21, Paul there explains to them how it has all fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Even Paul's bonds are talked about in the palace, in Caesar's palace, how would you like to be a Roman guard chained to Paul 
for an eight or 12 hour shift while he's preaching to people. That had to be an interesting discussion in the barracks. What duty did you pull? Ah, oh, I got latrine duty. Ah, oh, I'd rather have that than go down the chain to Paul. I got Paul duty today. Okay, I mean, he's got a captive audience. I, I mean, he's, he is a captive. He, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you got it. The gospel penetrates Caesar's own household. There is fruit in the Praetorian Guard, these crack troops of the Roman Empire. Paul was restricted to the city of Rome, but the gospel was not. Paul was able to send Timothy out on ministry journeys. He was able to send Titus and others out to help and encourage local churches across Italy and Greece and Asia Minor. He was able to receive Epaphroditus from Philippi, and Epaphroditus ministered there with him for a while. He got sick. Uh, they almost, uh, with the possibility of him dying, and Paul said, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't want the poor Philippian church to have to grieve that Epaphroditus died while he was here, and, and so he was rejoicing that he was able to send Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi. So you have all of these wonderful travels and correspondence and things going on that we see glimpses of throughout the epistles. And then what would we do without the epistle of the Ephesians, uh, to the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians and Philemon? Those are some of my favorite books. Just such rich truth. The church in her glory as the bride of Christ described the grace of God in that hymn in Ephesians 1. All of these texts we have because Paul had two years in Rome in which he never stopped. Even though he was stopped in his tracks, so to speak, he never stopped the ministry of the gospel. He knew he was there by the providence of God. And so he took it as his appointment there to minister. Recent history is full of a great many examples of men who've been thrown in prison, men and women, boys and girls even, who have been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. One of the biggest mistakes the Soviet Union made was putting Baptist preachers in prison. Because they had revivals in the prisons. And then when those guys left, they went all over the place. And one of the biggest things that helped spread the gospel in the Soviet Union was putting preachers in prison. Not only that, it was required that the guards read all your mail if you were in prison. And so men writing letters out would fill them with scripture. People writing letters in would fill them with scripture. So the guards are there reading all this scripture. There are many accounts of Roman or, or Russian guards who got saved and ended up in jail themselves because they'd gotten saved. You can contain the people, but you can't contain the Word of God and the Gospel. Friends, we sometimes feel like our circumstances have oppressed or the attitudes of the people around us that don't want to hear it are so suppressive that the Gospel is not going to thrive. It's not up to us to decide where and when it's going to thrive. It's just up to us to share it. Amen. It's just up to us to give it. Let God sort all the rest of that stuff out. He's the only one that knows what's going on anyway. So let's just give it. Share it. 
the providence of God, wherever he puts you this week, in the providence of God, be fruitful where you're put. Where you're put. Amen? Amen? Plant some seeds. This is the time of the year when the, the milkweed pods have expanded and the seeds are flying, they're all flying all over the place. So go out there and plant some seeds. You might never see the fruit, but God knows where all those seeds go, doesn't he? So like Paul, let's depend upon the providence of God and take what he gives us this week and continue to spread the word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for Luke. Laboriously, carefully, meticulously, most likely keeping a journal as he traveled, carrying it with him from place to place, writing, recording, observing, such a careful observer, such a faithful man, willing to go with Paul through all of these hardships and difficulties, a faithful friend. Thank you, Lord, for your grace manifested through these men, recorded for us. Help us, Father, that like them we might trust you in your providential care and work. So to continue to be faithful in ourselves, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for a tremendous conclusion to Acts. I thought of Colossians 4 when you were preaching, where Paul says, I'm in bonds, pray for me and my opportunities while I'm in bonds. And then he asked the Colossian people to make sure they're praying for their own opportunities, whether in prison, whether or not. And then he says, uh, look for the opportunity. Prayer alerts us to the opportunity. And uh, a tremendous encouragement to us tonight as we wrap up that book. We'll be going into the book of Second Peter for the next few weeks. And then we'll be going into the book of Isaiah and uh, going through an expositional overview of that book in uh, through the summer months and fall months. Uh, we explained to you a little bit about how our evening service format is going to change. We'll be giving you more details on that. Uh, but uh, when we're done with the book of Second Peter, we're going to be headed in that direction. And uh, when we get into Isaiah, I think you'll be really encouraged in how our, together as a church family, we're going to continue to learn God's word more comprehensively uh, together. Okay? Uh, so praise the Lord for that. I'd like to meet just the, uh, the deacons and elders up here uh, by the piano just for about three minutes. And then uh, if the missions committee could come on up and also gather over here to the right instead of in the family room, uh, we can get our uh, work done on our foreign missions work a little bit more expeditiously this evening. All right, uh, let's all stand together as Pastor Mike comes and leads us in a final hymn tonight.